this is some sort of cherry developer news, some episode for some reason, for whatever purpose of doom that we're doing. So day one of ETE is over, and uh, I figured we would just kind of get together and talk about the sessions that we liked or things we saw that were kind of cool. Yeah. So this is Ken Ripple. I'm Sanjay Sandeep Sujan Kapadia. <laughs> Sujan Kapadia. And Michael Pig. Mike Pig, Michael Pig, M-Pig, uh, M-Peg. Uh-huh. No. Mm-mm. E-Maps Futures. E-Maps Futures, yeah. wait for that. I ride MPEG. <laughs> Don't ride an MPEG. So um, we just finished up a talk by Alan Worsbrock, um, who is the Equascript, one of the leads on TC-39. And TC-39 sounds like a spaceship. Okay, let me unwind all the terms. JavaScript is the specification Equascript 262. Is that right? Yeah, 262. Close enough for jazz. And then TC39 is the committee of Equascript that runs the standards body, which generates the Equascript 262 specification, which is Equascript. And the version for 2015 is Equascript 1.6. And so the talk was about. Oh, it's Equascript 6. ECMAScript 6, yes, you're right. ES6. See what it means? See how confusing this is? That's that's what we've been calling it up to now, anyway. Yeah, and JavaScript has gone through like 1.4, 1.5, I suppose, but it is ECMAScript 6. So anyway, after all that diatribe, um, the talk was about where JavaScript is headed. I was thinking we were going to cover like the language features themselves. That's what I thought too. I think it was more around the process of what how they decide what goes in. Correct. So it's really kind of interesting to just hear what they're up against. And I joke when I teach Angular, and Michael knows this too, that if you screw up JavaScript, you break Keyboard Cat. Right? That's always my <laughs> joke. It's like if you break JavaScript, you mess up all the silly, stupid things on the web that have been there since you know 1995. And I heard that again today, and I'm like, well, at least I'm not crazy telling it to people because, yep, that's exactly what's going on out there. So he was going through all these really weird, here's 70 different ways that we could break JavaScript. And so we don't. We add a new keyword called let instead of var. That was pretty much the talk. I don't want to ever be on TC39. <laughs> I could totally envy Sounds the, like a biological virus. It, yeah, I'm sorry, you have TC39. No! Um, it means you write JavaScript. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Were both of you in the talk? I had to cut out a little early for uh, client work, but I've seen the ES6 features before, read about it. I'm like really stoked because I think there's a lot of cool things. There's a lot of good stuff in there, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought one interesting thing was his slide about the canonical languages of different eras, and JavaScript, he thinks, is the canonical language of whatever is a pervasive computing that he called it. Ambient. Ambient, ambient computing, oh, ambient. that's it. Right. Uh, my joke to the one guy next was, there's got to be glow sticks and ambient music behind you, or EDM. That's the ambient computing. Ambient. Wow, that's the first time I heard of that term. It's different, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of interesting. Uh, we're going to talk tomorrow, I guess, that my talk is going to be on actually, like, implementing ECMAScript 6. Um, Did he say whether, like, you know, going forward, should we always be using let so we don't rely on variable hoisting at all? Well, the thing is, you will still have hoisting. There's just the temporal dead zone. There is a case where you could do let, and it would have to, like, make it undefined until it actually executes the assignment. Okay. Because you could say let x. Right. And then later on, you could set x equal to 10. So you still have that weirdness. Okay. And the temporal dead zone is if you refer to X before you actually assign it, you could get an assignment error. Okay. But it's only localized within the let block. In the, within so the block. So it's always all the way to the top of the function. Correct. Okay. So any block is a place where a let can live. Okay. Yeah, at const, okay. I guess, as well. So, yeah, it's it's a bit different than the older version. I mean, I've been playing around with things like arrow functions and a little bit of the destructuring in the modules. Yeah. And... Where I think the issue is going to come in, and I'll, I'm going to play with this stuff tonight and tomorrow when I'm prepping for the talk, is 
there were a whole bunch of things, and we'll have to post show notes and get the links to his slides, but there were a whole bunch of things he was talking about with the current JavaScript and with the new JavaScript around what it does when it tries to hoist and it can't do it properly, mm. and errors that should be thrown. And I don't think that the transpilers will deal with that. I think that's where you're going to get the weird edge cases. So A, don't code like that is number one. <laughs> you know, don't write code that's bizarro world code, but you can do that inadvertently. Those are called bugs, right? So I think that there will still be cases where you write stuff to be happy in the transpilers, and then four years from now, you, which is probably how long it takes for us to get to true ECMAScript 6 everywhere, you flip off the features and you get new bugs because the transpilers would write one type of ECMAScript 5 code that could not technically be code that runs the exact same way as an ECMAScript 6 engine. So I don't think we're done once you go to a transpiler. It's okay. a temporary step okay. with more bugs to come after that. That's my theory on that. So is ambient computing just like a euphemism for the deep learning robots taking over the world? You always come back to that, don't you? <laughs> I always will. Are you sure that you were not created by a robot in the future, placed back here now, and you're waiting to rise up and take over the rest of the internet? Could be. I think that might be it. How about any other talks that you guys went to? I'd love the core async talk. Oh, cool. I closure. didn't go to that. Yeah. Stuart Holloway. Mm -hmm. It was his first ET, he said. Was it really? Too. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. We keep referencing him all the time. Yeah. And uh, he talked about, basically, it's taking a page from Go, so mm -hmm. a Go essentially communicating sequential processes mm -hmm. and channels. So trying to build logic that's localized, small, sequential, and all communication is done via channels. And there's different patterns, so you can send, you know, fan out and multiplex, demultiplex. But locally, everything is sort of, you know, immutable, and you're not sharing state. You're just passing messages back and forth. And it looked really cool, and the examples he gave were actually using it in Clojure skipped ohm. And he did some neat things and just you know, about how to try to not deal with callback hell and make all that a little cleaner and just specify what your different processes do and then fire them off and then they just communicate with each other. So there's no like, oh, this thing happened and then here's a callback that handles it. You're never doing that because what you're doing is that you're passing a message to another process that's handling it. So I think it makes it all a little more declarative. Mm -hmm. So do you, what do you subscribe to a channel, publish to it or? From what I saw, it's, no, not, it's like you directly connect two processes okay. via channel, and then there's different primitives for, um, like I want to send out something to two processes, or I want to merge something from two processes oh, into one channel, and the channel is just a communication medium in between. But it, it looked really cool. So if we re if we change the name from channel to pipe, is it similar? Because in Unix, it's all about piping things from place to place. I guess there's this. I mean, Concept they are analogous ones. somewhat, but. Uh, he mentioned, so there's Go process and threads. So like for machines that are platforms that have native thread implementations, you could use threads, for example. And, mm -hmm. and if you don't, Go routine sort of, it could be thread-based, it could be, I guess, co-routine-based or something. And you know, it could be just be scheduled by the OS when it when something's when a resource is available that it can run it on. Mm -hmm. And it sort of encapsulates all that. So I thought it was pretty cool. One thing that I wasn't clear on um, was it looked like there was different syntax for putting and taking messages when you were dealing with a Go queue versus a thread queue. Yeah, I saw that too. So he had like three things. One for one for being in a Go routine or whatever the term is, process, sorry. One for being in a thread process and one for external. Actually, yes, yeah, so a three. And one for if you're put, taking or putting something into a channel, but you yourself are not a process. So wait a minute. So let me back up a second. So that talk was about Core Async? Core Async, which they've been working on for a while now. And that's a closure library. Correct. But it's a closure library that can connect to a Go server. No, no, no. Uh, so the, or they, Go they is use, a different term than the Go language. They use the term Go because, like, Go, yeah. But it's the same concept. 
Okay. So Go has the idea of Go routines. Okay. Basically communicating sequential processes and channels. It's the same terminology, essentially. Okay, but it's not on Go at all. It's purely on Clojure. Yeah. Okay, they just use the word Go in it. Yeah. Okay, that's where I got confused. So, so different syntaxes for the different uh, modes of using it, essentially? Yeah, so I guess um, I thought that was a little bit strange, a little confusing maybe, um, but maybe you know, I guess, if you know which kind of a process you're in, it's, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, um, I wonder why they had to do that. Though. Yeah, though, I, I, I do too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you send a message to an actor, regardless of how you're sending it, you know, you, right. you either use the tell or you use the ask. Right? Mm-hmm. There's two syntaxes right. for it, right? And regardless of whether it's local or remote, it's, it's the same right. syntax. And this feels a little bit like more complicated or it's, huh. it, you know, it struck me as not as nice. But, right. but that's a pretty minor part of the overall um, thing. Concept-wise, it's yeah. an interesting concept. Absolutely. Yeah. Be fun to play around. It seems like it's really easy to, very lightweight, so you can have like thousands of Go processes. It brought out some good questions because people, someone asked, you know, what, where is the where is the boundary? Like, how do I define what a Go process is? What's the granularity? How should I design it? He he didn't really have an answer. He said except that you need to have good design experience and you have to know your system. You need to try things out. But he he made an awesome point. Which I feel like all these closure talks make is he said, start simple, start really small. He was like, for every you know, in every line of code you write make sure it works. Like, don't write 15 lines of closure code and then test it. I was like, test out every single line that you write iteratively. Steps along the way. Yeah, and I keep hearing that a lot of closure talks. Like, you know, start small, start small, keep things small. And I, Little iterations. Yeah. So what other talks did you guys go to? So I, I went to the Ember talk. And, yeah, um, me too. I thought that was pretty neat. Um, it's really the first time I've looked at it. Um, but the em- Ember inspector looked like a very cool um, yeah, it's a tooling it? for finding out what's going on in your application. Yep. I loved that it can visualize promises in the application. Yeah, we don't have that in Angular. Yeah. That would be very cool to see. So that that looked... Um, what does that mean? You can visualize like what, what so state it's what, in? Yeah, what state it Has it started yet? Has it completed? What are the results? Yeah, Did so it it's, it's a browser plugin that okay. either for Firefox or Chrome that um, you know gives you a tab in the developer tools that lets you inspect, you know, what's in the model, what's what template is being displayed right now. Oh, nice. um, oh yeah, so and cool. The status of, of promises, you know, was it is it Fulfilled. completed, did it succeed or fail? Wow. Um, so well, that, that pretty pretty neat. I guess they did they talk about a glimmer? Yes. There was a whole yeah. yeah glimmer the, so okay, so we might as well open this can of worms now. And and I and I wanna say that uh, there could be global thermonuclear war tonight because in room A, there's an Ember meetup, and Kent C. Dodds came over, who's the uh, Angular to- uh, speaker for tomorrow. <laughs> he came over and he said, there's an Ember meetup in room A. I'd like there to be an Angular meetup. And I'm like, well, let's make that sucker happen. So <laughs> we moved the Agile meetup to another room because they don't need a projector because they're all Agile, right? They've already designed the new iteration of without projectors. So they're in one room. We've taken over the projector room in E, so on one side, you'll have the Angular people. On the other side, you'll have the Ember people. And you're going to hear from, you know, West Side Story. You know, <laughs> you got the different, the, the different gangs getting together. We're going to shiv each other. And then we're all going to be great to see. That'd be hilarious. Wouldn't be great. We should do a video of that at the end. And then uh, we'll all just end up using EquiScript 6 and everyone else will be dead. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, so they were talking about, <laughs> isn't that, that's a good one. They were talking about Glimmer. Um, this brand new rendering engine that they're doing here yeah. is going to have a huge speed increase, yeah. right? It's like React, basically. But you know what? 
no changes to your code. Now think about that. Uh, if that happens, and I, again, I, I'm not an Ember person, so I can't prove or deny, you know, I refuse, Senator, to recall whether or not this is going to work or not. No changes to the code at all? Your code won't change. It's a drop-in replacement for the rendering. And oh, so they're not taking, like, the React's, like, unidirectional data flow model? Uh, it's it's uni or bidirectional, I believe. But what they're doing is they're doing this. That was really interesting. They're they're doing a virtual DOM, not Shadow DOM, but virtual DOM. And I don't know the difference between them. I think Shadow DOM is like a, a native browser sort of feature. Yeah, Shadow DOM is different for like building out components. Like, so you don't you don't see that DOM in your tree, but right. it's there. You just right. see the, the high level component, but you can get access to it. If now you I want. think they might do virtual DOM now, but what they're doing now the, in this future one is they're doing a virtual data graph. So it's not even the DOM; it's purely the data. And every time you they snapshot it or whatever they do, they keep track of the current version, and then whenever they change it, they track the prior version. So they could do deltas. Right. And so, it's purely a data delta, right? Yeah, so there's a thing called the render node that um, That's is it. the key that this thing keeps track of what the last value was in that node, and then uh, what's the new value. And um, you know they go through and mark all of those render nodes as whether they're dirty or not, right? Mm -hmm. and then go through, I guess, and do a uh, uh, you know, replacement of everything. The other interesting thing was um, uh, that they're looking at whether something is static or it's dynamic. You know, if something can't possibly change in value, then they're not going to go and um, analyze it every yeah, time right. through the uh, digest or whatever you call it in Ember. Yeah. Uh, they're just going to look at the things that could possibly change because they have an expression hmm. in them. And even all of this, I say, you know, I'm sure the Angular team's looking at a lot of the same. And he was he threw that one off, saying, I think this is the way we do it now is a little better than Angular. I'm like, yeah, well, uh, okay, you know, like everyone has their own perspective on what's better or not. I know the Angular team in one three did a ton of optimizations of, oh, that's read only. We won't check it anymore. Or, you know, we're not watching that variable. So it's not like when when something gets dirty, everything gets dirty. They have like scope based dirtying and things like that. So whatever each team says about what they're doing performance-wise, this is a huge leg up for the Ember team because they're just going to say, flip a switch in a particular release of Ember, and what was it? It was uh, once they get the, I want to figure my, figures my notes have crashed here. Um, when they get to a particular release of Ember, they're going to just send this thing through, and it's there. But the problem with Angular right now, and I want to talk about this in the meetup tonight, I want to hear what they have to say about this, the, the guys that are hanging out, is that in the new version of Angular, you have to rewrite your code to take advantage of the new performance features. You have to rewrite your Angular code. Mm -hmm. That's a fundamental difference in the way those teams are developing their APIs. And they were saying, uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the presenter's name, but he was saying that he was being very explicit. Tom Dale, yeah. We mm -hmm. are evolving this, and um, you know, there's not going to be a big rewrite. He said 2.0 does not provide any new features. It's mm -hmm. just getting rid of features that we marked deprecated previously. Right, um, right. And so it's a much more evolutionary change. Uh, you know, he's he wasn't saying uh, unlike Angular. But, right. uh, that's, but I think that's there implicitly. Yeah, that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like exactly the opposite approach where it is. Um, you get small new features uh, on a continuous basis and a major release just gets rid of um, things. I thought that was an interesting Yeah, idea. his line was 100% backward compatible and avoid the rewrite uh, yeah. story. 
and their main goal is DOM element stability, right? They want to make sure that the DOM is absolutely stable. Then they talk about another interesting feature called fast boot. Mm -hmm. Remember that? that now, now, I thought about, I'm, I'm holding up my iPhone here. With the iPhone, remember early, early on when, when phone apps first came out, it would take a long time for them to start up, but they would just sit there. You know, it, it, like the screen would sit there and nothing would happen. And then all of a sudden, someone came up with the idea, I think it was Apple first, of an initial screenshot, right? And then you see the initial screenshot, and then you see the app come up. I think this is almost the same thing, except mm -hmm. it's live data. So the idea is that you have a way of warming up the first view that a client would see when they fire up their Ember application. And that would show up as regular HTML populated with data, and there'll be some sort of bootstrapping process that will replace that with the, re with the newest data, which could be very, really very weird, but very, you know, a good indication of what's to come in the app, but also the SEO search engine stuff, mm -hmm. when they're crawling, they would get that first snapshot. They wouldn't run the JavaScript. So it's kind of an interesting way of handling the first view and also at the same time killing the bird of, you know, when the crawler crawls your site, what does this thing do? You know? Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing they talk about at the end. I think it was a little more, I don't want to call it a gimmick at all, but I, I think it's more of a, an interesting little side feature that's coming. Uh, but I think that this whole Glimmer thing is absolutely critical. It is cool. It's a really cool thing. Uh, what other talks do you guys? I went, uh, went to the concurrency. It's harder and easier than you think. Mm -hmm. Great speaker. Yeah. Really good talk. You know, great delivery. And what I really liked was uh, his initial example was very small, very simple, but it drove the point home of you know either your CPU or your you know the just-in-time compilation of Java. Being able to reorder instructions and causing you know really weird things to happen that you wouldn't expect because they could you know just switch two lines around. Oh yeah. And that would change all your results. But the I've never seen someone provide a really lucid, simple example that was then evident to everyone after he said, "Oh, this is what happens." And it was like, "Oh," like it was just a great example. So I thought that was a good talk. And then he so he he basically said, "Why would you ever use threads or locks? Like no one can do it." He goes, "I have a PhD. I've written a book, and I wrote code that doesn't work." Is that a line? Not, he not actually, right? I didn't, he wrote Scala and Mock. I didn't know that. He did what? Paul, uh, Paul Butcher. Oh, Paul Butcher. He's, a, he, he's the one who wrote Scala, well, I guess maybe with core committer or creator of Scala and Mock. I didn't even know until mm -hmm. he showed the code for Scala and Mock and said that he wrote it. I was like, wow, oh, that's wow. pretty cool. So I think he's a Scala guy, but he was saying it's so hard that it's better just not to deal with it and, you know. Don't write code with No share middle of the data. Don't deal with thread flocks and synchronization primitives. Instead, just do things either with, like, an actor model or a, a, the or like the go go routine that kind of model. So mm -hmm. he wrote that book, uh, seven concurrency models in seven weeks. I mean, oh, that was yeah, him. Yeah. yeah, okay. Maybe misreading the title. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. So he, I I need to get that book. So this looks really cool. I want to read it. But yeah, that was an awesome talk. Wow, that's cool. All right, and all of these talks um, will be eventually on our website. Uh, it all depends on when we can get them all mixed down and edited. But we will have screencasts of the screens plus the audio. Uh, and I know InfoQ is here, and so InfoQ will have their full InfoQness of, uh, I think, about 20 talks of ETE, and that will all be documented up on phillyemergingtech.com, as well as at chariotsolutions.com slash screencasts, and the PDFs of the actual presentations earlier than that at chariotsolutions.com slash presentations in the ETE oh, channel. Thank you. A lot of people have asked me, and I didn't know, so now I know. Yeah, we'll be putting them up there and linking to them on Philly ETE's website, so, uh, yeah. So, well, we'll see what happens for day two, but uh, definitely a lot of good stuff from day one. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys, thanks so much. Thank you. Mm-hmm.